0: Transitions, that's the title of the message series we're going through, Uh, Malachi, Becoming Better People for God. And you can see the list and where we've gone, where we're going, up behind me, and where we are today, you can see that highlighted as he clicks that. And I want you to mark your calendar, if you haven't already, mark your calendar for March 22nd, there's a comedian, Tony Wolf, coming. If you've got friends, neighbors, coworkers, or whoever that... Uh, Classmates, people that you think might be interested in meeting a Christian celebrity, a comedian. He's uh, going to be touring in our area uh, up in Seattle that Sunday night, but because we have some mutual friends, uh, he is willing to come here and preach. He's not doing a comedy act here, but at least you could probably hear some of his funny stories, I'm sure. But it, it would be a good time if you don't know how to get your friend to come to church. That might be a good time. Would you like to meet a celebrity? We've got a comedian coming who's going to deliver the message. You get to meet him. So that would be a good time to try that if you want. We'll set out extra chairs if we need to. So today the message is from Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 to 16. Faithfulness over feelings. Margaret Thatcher said, To wear your heart on your sleeve isn't a very good plan. You should wear it inside, where it functions best. (laughs) But we live in a society where it seems to be the morality goes around people's feelings. You're not supposed to take a position that might hurt somebody's feelings. This is being pushed on us in all different venues, especially in the public sector. But I want to show you a picture right now, kind of set the tone. Do you recognize anybody in this picture? Yeah, you should. That's our president right there in the middle. It's easy. I mean, over time, you get to know a public figure, even from whatever angle the picture is taken from. That is our president. And uh, the, the person I want you to pay attention to, though, is the person that is to your left in the image. And you can see his face is circled. Probably don't know him. Um, I'll tell you who he is, and this photo was taken um, a few years ago. This is Randy Garris. You can see his information there. The picture was taken May 29th, and uh, 2011. This is the fict- picture was taken just before we sent some delegates from our church. See, what happened is that you know a tornado ripped through Joplin, Missouri, and. And when it did, it just it left a swath of destruction and, and lives uh, were taken. And it was just so much, it was, it was devastating to the Midwest there. And, <clears throat> and we had a youth minister here, Joe Mason, at the time. We, were, we did our first youth event. We were going up to something, his first youth event, I think, uh, as youth minister. We're going up to Tulalip, I think, doing some shopping or something like that. And as we're going up there, we were talking and and he made the connection that I went to Bible College in, in Joplin, Missouri, and uh, he was asking if I knew people back there, and I did. And so he had this idea: why don't we take a group to help? And uh, so we, I made a phone call uh, to a friend of mine who uh, ran the summer programs for Christ and Youth, and that springboarded into organizing a larger event where hundreds of others were invited to come through CIY, to help, and we sent our delegates there as well. This photo was taken just before that, and uh, this is Randy Garris. Randy Garris is the pastor of, the retiring pastor of College Heights Christian Church. Over 30 years he's served there. Why is he in this photo? Because something happened there in Joplin that was rather remarkable. You see, when the, when the storm devastated the community, there was already a church that was known to step up when the community needed it. It's a large church. In fact, when they opened up the um, Missouri Southern State University to house the people who were displaced, they had to call College Heights Christian Church to find out, "Hey, you got any people over there? Because we don't have anybody. We got two or three families. We know there's a lot of people that need." And the, the answer from College Heights Christian Church was, "Yes, we're full." <laughs> The people in the community chose to rely on the church rather than the government. An interesting thing happened. FEMA said that Joplin recovered faster than anybody anticipated because the church responded so well to meet the needs of the community. That's a good statement, isn't it? You're talking about shining your light. Randy Garris, preacher of that church, he was just added to the staff at Ozark Christian College, he's been in ministry for such a long time, ministering to all these college students that choose to go to his church. I did not attend that church. I served at other churches while, while being there in Joplin, but I've known him for many years. Randy Garris has now been put on staff so he can help these, uh, the new up-and-coming preachers and youth ministers. That's cool. But while he was, while I was in the Midwest, I went to a, a camp the preachers had gotten together, there was about 15 of us probably all together, sitting around a campfire one night of this preacher's event. Randy Garris was invited to be our guest speaker for us, our guest leader for us, and he told us to go around the campfire and, and confess our problems, things that we need help with. And by the time it got to me, nobody, I felt like I was the worst heathen of all preachers because none of them had admitted anything significant. They just went around, I need to work more on my sermons, you know, I stutter sometimes, things like that. It's like, ah. By the time it got to me, I just said what was on my mind. I said, I don't think that I'm, I don't think I'm leading my family the way I know God wants me to lead my family. And he pointed at me, and he said, show me a man that says he's not leading his family the way he knows God wants him to, and I'll show you a man who doesn't have his own personal devotion life right. I thought, man, nobody else was attacked, just me. (laughs) But it was a nice, swift, spiritual kick in the pants. It made me realize he's right. I couldn't say something like that unless I wasn't in check with myself spiritually or I would be leading my family right. He was right. I was drawn to Randy Garris with a story that he told at a different time. A significant story that I want to share with you because I need to set the tone for what we're about to do. And it's going to be uncomfortable what we're going to do as we go through Malachi. Sometimes scripture is that way. And if you're new here I just must warn you, this is probably going to be uncomfortable. We don't always do uncomfortable, but we're just going through a book in the Bible. And if it's uncomfortable, it's just the way it's going to be. So, Randy Garris told a story about when he was a child. It stood out in his mind as, the, as, as a very significant moment in, a, in his childhood memories. He was raised on a farm in the Midwest. Some of you can relate to this. He was raised on a farm in the Midwest. His father was a poor farmer, worked hard, got up early. They didn't see him in the mornings. He was already out working. Sometimes they didn't see him even till late in the evening because he worked all day, very hard, worked in the fields. He was a hard laborer to provide for his family, but they didn't have much. They were very poor. Randy Garris remembers a significant moment that his dad told him Today is a family day. He planned this day, which very rarely came, where they would spend all day together as a family, not working. So the father decided they were going to go to a circus. I think it was in Springfield or somewhere nearby, near Joplin. They had to drive to get there. And when they got to the circus, Randy remembers being shocked at the generosity of his father because they were so poor. But when they got there, they were allowed to have things like popcorn and cotton candy that he would have thought would have been off limits. You know, we can't afford that. But the father let them have that. And then then when they they went to a vendor that had toys, they had toys out there at the circus because they knew kids would be there. The father said, you each can pick one thing, his brother and him. They both could pick one thing. He was shocked. His dad was going to let them have something. They're too poor, and he picks something like a toy gun. Oh, that's not popular today. But anyway, he picks something like a toy gun, and his brother picked a helium balloon. It was very uncommon for that time, and so they go into the tent. They make their way to their seats. The father and mother sit directly behind the two boys. The circus begins. The boys' attention span is like a typical boy's attention span, so they're not always paying attention to the circus. In fact, Randy got tired of his toy gun, and he decided he wanted his little brother's balloon. So he tried to trade him. His little brother wouldn't trade him. So he decided to take it from his little brother, and as he tried to fight for the balloon, it went up. It was making its way to the top of the tent. By the way, there were several balloons already up there. It was making its way up to the top, and he's dumbfounded by what just happened. He saw out of the corner of his eye his father's knee he looked at his father, who was watching the balloon go to the top of the tent. His father had one solitary tear that fell from his eye uncontrollably. And it was at that moment that Randy realized he had totally taken for granted what his father had sacrificed for them. And just disregarded it. And when I heard that story, it got to me, it got to my mind, it got to my heart. I thought, oh my goodness, I think sometimes I have totally disregarded what God's given me. And I would say as a preacher, I've learned over the years that as a whole, as Christians, I think sometimes we struggle with this. I'm going to give this to you. The closer we get to God, the more we want what God wants rather than what we want. Call it faithfulness over feelings. Maybe you could even call it spiritual sensitivity. I would say as a whole, we as a people struggle with this We oftentimes let our feelings take precedent over what God wants. Let me just continue to set the tone here. Throw it out there. I had someone tell me one time their greatest experience that they could ever remember was when they... When they were able to knock on the door of a, they were knocking on doors in a neighborhood. They were with a parachurch organization. They knocked on the door, and uh, two teenage girls came to the door, and they began to share about heaven and hell with these teenage girls. And if you if you accept Jesus, you don't get hell. If you don't accept Jesus, then if you, you, you if you accept him, you get heaven. If you don't accept him, you get hell. So, and then and the, this person told the story and said, so I prayed with them. And I've, I've felt so good about that. That's the best memory I have, best moment I've ever had in my life. And so I asked the question, did they, did they make a commitment to live for Jesus? I don't know. I, I said a prayer with them. And you can imagine that's very uncomfortable for me to bring that up. I mean, hey, this person has this great memory and their feelings are all wrapped around it. But if you don't make a commitment to live for Jesus... You don't have Jesus. You can't just have somebody pray for you and it all be good. But wait a minute, Jeff, that's kind of insulting. That's, uh, that's, um, that might hurt people's feelings. But what about what God thinks? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you save people by praying Jesus into them. Nowhere. It's Not in the Bible. What does God think of that? Okay, so what if, there's other things too. How about this? Let me throw this out there. What does God think about greed? Well, we know He doesn't want us to be greedy. Well, how does that relate to gambling? Jeff, that might might hurt people's feelings. You not realize we've got lottery, we've got casinos. That might hurt people's feelings. Does God speak of greed in the Bible? So I would say... We as a whole, I could go down a long list of things that make people uncomfortable, and our feelings, we want to push this aside because it makes us uncomfortable, and our feelings take precedence over God's Word. And we totally just disregard what He's given to us. You realize I have not got into the Scripture yet? (laughs) This is all just to set the tone. I want you to be ready. So we'll get into Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Remember last week God said, Am I not your Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? I want you to pay attention to that word faithless. Here's a couple of different ways you could word that. How about this? Not Faithful. Here's another way. Not steadfast. Let me give you some New Testament passages that might help you in wrapping your brain around how God wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be steadfast. In other terms, it'll, it'll come up here. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Run with endurance the race, which implies that we will need to be encouraged to keep racing. We're going to feel like giving up. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight, implying we may feel like giving up in the good fight. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. In the passage in Ephesians chapter 6 I've already read from, it talks about putting on the full armor of God. It also says this, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And at the end of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 13, verse 58... I'm sorry, uh, chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. I love that word. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in our Lord your labor is not in vain. Here, Let me just throw these out here. These are Bible-based, motivational words and phrases. Think about these things. These might help you in times when you feel like giving up. Faithfulness perseverance, all of these biblical concepts, endurance, persistence, steadfastness. A couple of phrases, don't quit, never give up. So I want to read that verse again, Malachi 1.10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? You read this and you might think, so what was the big deal? He answers it in the next verse. Pay close attention. Judah has been faithless. Hold on for a minute. Judah. What's what's this distinction here? See, if you'll remember, back further in history, King Solomon made big mistakes. One significant one uh, we'll bring up a little bit later. King Solomon, because of his mistakes, God divided the kingdom. He took the kingdom out of the descendants of Solomon and had a divided kingdom. Israel was divided and then there was Judah. Judah represents the lineage from which Jesus would come. Judah is the the kingdom that God would stay with in the divided kingdom. And this is talking about Judah as a whole. Pay attention. Judah has been faithless. An abomination, that's something that's deplorable to God, has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Now, he's speaking as a whole, Judah as a whole, as a nation. But in order for him to say this, this means individuals within Judah are doing this. What are they doing? they're marrying outside their faith. Scripture is clear. It teaches don't marry outside your faith. Here's a bunch of scripture right here you can see. Whole list of them, most of them Old Testament, but very clearly taught you are not to marry outside your faith. I'm going to read you the one 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 to 15. This is the New Testament. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Here's what it looks like. Unequally yoked. A camel with a donkey? You're not going to plow very straight. This is unequally yoked. That's what the terminology means, and he's talking about marriage. You see, being unequally yoked If you choose to marry outside your faith, you are choosing friction in your marriage. I know that makes people uncomfortable to say that, to agree with Scripture, Old and New Testament, right here in our own text. It teaches us we're not supposed to do this, but to bring it up, it makes people uncomfortable. Because our feelings are wrapped up in that. You wouldn't, if you had a a young person you care about deeply, come to you and say, what should I look for in a marriage partner? You would not tell them. I'll tell you what. When it comes to spiritual things, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Disregard. When it comes to spiritual things, everything else. I mean, you want to be compatible except spiritually. Well, we would never say it like that, would we? But practically speaking, this is what's happening in Judah. And unfortunately, it's what's happened amongst many of us because it makes us uncomfortable to talk about it. Why? Why are we so unwilling to, to lift up God's Word and do what it says and just go with our feelings? I, I think the answer is pretty clear. We see this in the Old Testament. I want to back up a little bit and told you that I would tell you a little bit more about Solomon. Just look at his story. Just briefly, I want to show you something. This is out of 1 Kings chapter 3, is where we'll start, beginning with verse 11. You might want to mark this down. Solomon just prayed a prayer. He asked God, he goes, you're making me king? Oh my goodness, I don't know how to be king. I'm not smart enough. Please give me wisdom. That's what he prayed, something like that. Verse 11, and God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. Did you know that? Solomon would become the wisest human to ever live. Jesus is God in the flesh. We can't count him, but Solomon would be the wisest human to ever live. Wow, that's big. I want you to to notice something, though. If we fast forward into chapter 11, Solomon's life has happened now. I want you to look at the end of his life. Chapter 11, verse 4, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. It continues. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. And Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem, and so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. It continues, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him according to, concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Why did Solomon do this? The wisest man, the wisest human that would ever walk this planet aside from Jesus, how could he do this? He knew better. Of course he did. Some of you were here when we were studying through Nehemiah just weeks ago. In fact, it was just weeks ago, at the very end of Nehemiah, we were given insight into what happened with Solomon. Nehemiah chapter 13, look at this verse. Verse 26 and also verse 27. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among them, this is Nehemiah speaking to the nation. Among them, many nations, was no, there was no king like him. And he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. We then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women. I hope you understand this. God, God loved Solomon. He put him in charge. He gave him wisdom. Solomon knew he shouldn't be marrying outside his faith. So the wisest human that would ever walk this planet knew the wisdom, but he followed his feelings. No wonder we do the same thing. We're not ever going to be as smart as him. But we could choose to follow God's word instead of our feelings. If Solomon just would have followed the wisdom that he had, he'd have been okay. But Solomon died worshiping false gods. That's sad, isn't it? And so Nehemiah was pleading, you know, with the people. Shall we do this too? No! Malachi chapter 2, verse 12. May the Lord out a, cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Wow! God considers it totally disregarding Him, even if you come in and you desire wholeheartedly to worship God, and you bring your offerings of worship before Him. But if you're totally disregarding what He's instructed us to do, as if it's nothing, God is insulted by that. And some would argue. Some would say, what are you you saying? I mean, My spouse was led to Christ after all those years. All those years of what? Friction? As a preacher, I'm on the inside of sometimes some stories that are very difficult to listen to. I mean, if you have unequally yoked in a family, there's going to be friction because one's going to be pulling in a different direction or at least holding the other one back while one's trying to pull forward spiritually. And what happens is oftentimes a spouse can't bring it up because when you bring it up, the friction gets worse. It doesn't go well. And so they go to people that they know are praying people. Maybe the preacher. Maybe the people on the prayer chain. And they say things like, it's very hard sometimes. But because of our feelings being all wrapped up in it, we want to say that it's okay. Don't preach not to marry outside your faith. Why? Because we did it. But is it right? Is it the best thing? Don't misunderstand. 1 Corinthians 7 makes it clear. I mean, you, if you're married unequally, then hopefully you'll lead your spouse to Christ. That's great. But why would you encourage people to marry knowing you're incompatible spiritually? The most important thing. Why would we do that? Because, Because maybe we did something different. Because of what we did, we want to say that's the way to do it. God's way is the smart way. Not how we feel. Told you it'd be uncomfortable. Let's move on to verse 13. And the second thing you do, oh no, there's more. You cover the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with a favor, with favor from your hand. Whoa. So they're, they're really emotional about this. They, really, they truly are trying to worship God and are very bothered that God is not accepting their worship. Why? Look at this. But you say, why does He not accept our worship? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Remember, Malachi is all about covenant. Did he not make them one with the portion of the Spirit in their union? And, and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. God takes it very seriously when you make a covenant, when you make a commitment, you make a vow, you say you're going to do something, you do it. Jesus speaks of this in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew 19. And there's more in the New Testament, but just to bring it up. And I have, have a phrase up behind me, uh, marital unfaithfulness, and I'll talk about that. I want you to understand Jesus says that you're not supposed to divorce. But that's touched us in, even in the church. What do we do with this? I know of a local church here on two occasions that I'm aware of where they, there's a couple that divorced and then, and then they remarried and then the church actually counseled them to divorce the people they were remarried to in order to try to reconcile back. And I think that's a little weird. If you're against divorce, you don't encourage divorce. I just think it's weird, my opinion. What do you do you know, when divorce has contaminated your life? What do you do with that? Well, hopefully you make the best of it, and you commit to God and do your best, and you are faithful to the commitment that you have made. It makes it uncomfortable in a church to bring up divorce, because it's touched many of our lives. If it hasn't touched you personally, it's touched people that you know, that you love, that you're close to, it's in your family. It's a painful thing, and to bring it up, it's painful. But we should lift up holy marriage. When when these people who have have been married all these years, there's people in our church who have been married over 50 years. Did you know that? That's something that we should should lift up and we should be thankful for and we should try to emulate and say, this is great, they figured it out. (laughs) You know what we do oftentimes is we'll look and we'll see somebody that's been married a long time and, and a couple will look at them and think, oh man, must be nice not to have any problems. The people that have had these marriages that have worked for many many years they just figured out how to work out their problems they all have problems because when you, when you marry someone you're two individuals and you're both capable of disappointment you're both capable of making mistakes you're both capable of irritating other people and it happens and Jesus emphasis is to be faithful. Isn't that interesting? Kind of been the subject of the morning. Be faithful. To, and I, and I like the translation, marital unfaithfulness, rather than some of the, uh, tra- most of the translations today, and even older ones, talk about it being sexual unfaithfulness, and I don't think it's exclusive. I think marital unfaithfulness, biblically speaking, each time, even though it's translated kind of funky, I think it has to do with a lot more than just That. In fact, when Jesus said these things, the people that heard these things and wrote about it mentioned that it was about unfaithfulness to the vows. All of it. If you made a commitment in marriage to your spouse, you stay faithful to that. Of course, that includes the sensual stuff, but it's much more than that. How do you treat your spouse? Didn't you make a commitment to treat them a certain way? God considers that to be a covenant relationship. And I just need to throw this out there in case you don't know, but one of those things as a married couple you have to learn, and it's vital, you protect the other person's dignity. You really need to do that. I know it's not popular, You know, we get together with our friends and we badmouth our spouse, whatever. That's not Christian behavior, and it's not being faithful. You protect the other person's dignity. Don't tell your family or your close friends the negative stuff you think about your spouse. They will never forget it. (laughs) Who do you tell? Well, you should pray, talk to God. But if you need to talk to somebody, you might want to consider a professional or a mentor. It's a really good idea if you know of a family that's, that the couple has worked out their relationship. They've been married a long time. They seem to have ironed things out quite well. It's great if you can come up under some mentors. You know what happens when you go to a couple that you think they've got it all worked out. You think their marriage is great. And they, the only reason why you don't realize that they have problems too, they don't air them out in front of everybody. They're protecting each other's dignity. That's the way it's supposed to be. But when you go to them and you say, you know, we've been watching you, we've been thinking, you know, your marriage, that's the way we want our marriage. We like to, you know, it's, and maybe every now and then, just have supper or something, talk. And maybe if we need to talk individually, you can pull us aside and we can, we can call you if we need you. And when you have a conversation like that with a, with a mentoring couple... Do you know what happens when you go to somebody and say something like that? That couple, as soon as they have a private moment away from you in the car or wherever, they're talking to each other going, Pfft. you believe they think we've got it figured out? We better get on the ball. They, they start trying to work on their marriage even more because they realize there's people watching. And they, and they think we're, we're doing a great job. We've got a long way to go. That's what they do. So they grow closer together and closer to God, and then so do you. So if you've got to share things, if you've got to vent vent to the right people, not to the people who will never forget, never forgive, don't just go talking to your friends or your co-workers or your family. <clears throat> protect the other person's dignity. I've got to tell you that most of what I've learned about marriage, I've learned from mistakes that Stephanie won't tell you about because she'll protect my dignity. And I'll try to protect hers as well and not tell you hers. God takes it personally when we totally disregard what He has granted us. And He's given us great instructions. Let me give you some words again that you can dwell on to help you get through the difficult times. Biblical-based, motivational words and phrases. Park them in your mind. Write them down. Think about them. Dwell on them. We just read about them. Faithfulness. Perseverance, endurance, persistence, steadfastness, don't quit, never give up. See, the closer we get to God, the more we want what God wants, rather than what we want. Call it faithfulness over feelings. Call it spiritual sensitivity. Maybe we could be like little Randy Garris who's now a preacher who impacts a whole community, a preacher who's now going to be training other preachers to do what he does. Maybe we could be like little Randy Garris that has this memory that's ingrained in his head that maybe it will be ingrained in ours that God has stuff for us. He sacrifices for us. He sacrificed so much we must not disregard. Our instructions are right here. Let's not put our feelings over this. So this morning you may have come in and you may have things weighing heavy on you. And we've discussed some difficult things this morning and maybe that weighs heavy on you. But you don't have to leave this place feeling distance from God. The closer you get to Him, the more you'll realize what He's feeling. And you'll put that over your own. When he's upset, we should be upset. When he's passionate, we should be passionate. And this morning, you don't have to leave this place feeling distance from God. Try to relate to that story of little Randy Garris. Try to relate to the idea that God takes it personally as an insult when we disregard his word.